I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year's 1970, the album, Paul Fries and the Poster People. The artist, Paul Fries. My guest is Fred Fries. Thank you so much for uh, doing the show. Oh, glad to, Jason. Thanks. Uh, so we'll get started. With the, so your dad was uh, one of the greatest voiceover guys in history. Uh, people would I know... Like- I like to think so. Yeah. I mean, he's Boris Badenov. He's the voice of the Haunted Mansion. He's a trillion other things. Those are the first two that always pop in my head. Yeah, at least that. Yeah, right. At least. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, and I, he was the other guy besides Mel Blanc, who people like to say was the man of a thousand voices. Uh, and, you know, I'll be honest with, with the audience. We talked, we, I picked this album because I figured, you know what, it might be a fun way to start talking a little bit about him, a little bit about where you got started and your own voiceover work. But this, this album is just for the record, it's a crazy album. Like it's, it's a very weird album. Uh, it is, um, it, it's not, you know, up to date anymore with the song. Right, right. But the idea of it was very unique and, uh. I know it was, you know, fun listening to it when it was finally done because it got Dad a chance to do the voices he's able to do, you know, impressions uh, in, in a situation where if the, those people had still been alive and they were singing a song, what, what they might have sounded like if they were trying to sing the songs. Yeah, and he sings them not just, it's not just, uh, it's not just a vocal impression, it's, it's very much a characterization of how, how they might, what their take on it might be, which I, I definitely enjoy. Yeah, uh, the thing I notice most about it is he, he doesn't really do a lot of singing. You know, it's quite, sort of talk singing. Yeah. Um, so, some of it a little bit singing, because my dad could sing. Uh-huh. Uh, he used to be a songwriter. See, uh, back in the early days with Eddie Brandt. Uh-huh. And, but uh, mostly the songs are kind of, like you said, just characterizations. And, uh, you know, depending on what the song was, they, they were either singing it or just kind of speaking it. Uh-huh. Yeah, some of them don't necessarily lend themselves to being, like, if you, if you sang in that voice, you might lose the impression. Well, yeah, because like on um, by the time I get to Phoenix, uh, was um, do you have do you have the album with you? Yeah, I was I, I was I was pulling it up actually just now. Uh, let's see, because uh, I I own it, but it's 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 somewhere in a pile somewhere. So I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, uh, that that was that was supposed to be Clark Gable. Yes, right. Yeah. Huh. And Dad, virtually, he's just saying, by the time I get to Phoenix, mm-hmm. he'll be right. I mean, he's, he's, he's just, he's, he's up more speaking than singing it. Yeah. You know, um, some of them are singing, um, up, up and away. I feel was, was singing and, um, I mean, like, uh, Peter Lorre doing Hey Jude, <laughs> you know, Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. I mean, he's just kind of <laughs> he's doing his impression, but they're not really singing. Yeah. So, but but everybody you know who's heard the album always loves it. So, um, you know, it's a fun thing. It really is. It's 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 a fun snapshot of a time when, 
this is about the last time when those impressions would be relevant to pop culture because uh, except for if you go back and then watch some of the cartoons in which you know any you know a voice that either uh, him or Mel Blanc were doing uh, so it's still relevant in, if you're watching some of the older stuff and you're aware of it, but it's 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 at this at the cusp of you know this is this is maybe the last time I'll get to do these impressions and people will know what the hell I'm doing and they're they're great I, I, I they're a very fun interpretation of some pretty popular songs you got raindrops keep falling on my head Mama told me not to come by W C Fields it's just such a silly idea and I really love it yeah no it's wonderful uh, so did you say so. Do you remember how that album came about? Uh, not specifically how that album came about, but I know Dad did several albums prior to that. Uh-huh. So doing comedy albums was not unusual or unfamiliar to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, early in the day, he did uh, comedy albums with Spike Jones mm-hmm. and with Stan Freeberg. Right. So in the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, he was already doing comedy albums. Um, those are very popular. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're going to talk about, yeah, those, if you're going to be on uh, any two people's comedy albums, Stan Freeberg and Spike. So do you know, here's the problem, if you search for him on the requisite databases, they don't really, they don't pull up his appearances where he doesn't star or isn't one of the main people on the album. So do you, which, do you know which ones off the top of your head or which tracks? Well, the, the most famous track that he did for Spike Jones was My Old Flame. Yes, which, okay. Which, was, which is his Peter Lorre impression. Mm-hmm. He did Peter Lorre so well that toward the end of his life, when Peter Lorre could no longer really perform, he said, take care of our voice. Oh, my God. Yeah, they, they, he was very. They were very close, and Stan Freeberg was. Um, Stan Freeberg presents the United States of America. Yep. I think was the name of it, and mm-hmm. it's the one where Dad in, uh, uh, does the announcing, and he says, "Stan Freeberg modestly presents <laughs> the United States of America." And the story goes that Dad is the one who introduced the word "modestly." That's amazing, and. Stan, objected to it initially. He said, no, don't say that. And he said, no, Dad said, I'm going to say it. <laughs> and Stan said, no, you're not going to say it. Dad said, yes, I am going to say it. And that's that. And it turned out to be, uh, you know, the, the, the popular saying of, of that album and uh, <laughs> became very, very famous for that. So uh, That album, in terms, of, in terms of the voiceover talent that is on that album, I mean, it's himself. I'm trying to remember if Chuck McCann's on it. Uh, I'm pretty sure June Foray's on it as well. There's so many wonderful voices on that album. It's a it's a great piece of work. Yeah, and that also, and here again, uh, the singing, actual singing. He does the, um, the 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 album version of the Doctor Fibes movies, the Abominable Doctor Fibes. Oh my God! Really. Yeah, and some of it was used in the movie. In the background, you can hear Dad's voice in, in one of the scenes where he's lurking around. And um, the the actual soundtrack is mostly just all these songs that Dad sang because he and Vincent Price were very good friends. Mm-hmm. My goodness. So he, he's not unfamiliar with doing albums. In fact, the, the album I remember most of my dad that I used to play all the time was... Um, 
Ludwig von Drake. Oh my Walt, God! Yeah, Walt Disney. Yeah, and it's it's got the Spectrum song on it and all kinds of stuff, which actually is up on uh, YouTube a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those things. I am Professor Ludwig von Drake, and I used to listen to that as a kid <laughs> all the time. And it was a whole album. Both sides of the album was just Ludwig von Drake doing all this crazy stuff, and, and that was Dad. So he certainly was familiar with, you know, doing albums, comedy albums, singing mm-hmm. albums, a lot of that stuff. He, uh, I feel like your father was more of a chameleon maybe than some other, because, you know, I grew up thinking I was like, oh, I remember pegging, oh, that's that voice, that's that guy. There was no way in, in growing up as a kid that I would have been like, oh, yeah, Ludwig von Drake is also Boris Badenov. I There's no way as a kid that I would have pegged that at all. That's insane to me. <laughs> well, he, he, he was quite a chameleon. I mean, he when you start adding it all up, you go... Uh... Boy, that that's incredible. You know, he he was also the original Pillsbury Doughboy, mm-hmm. and he was all of the original Raid Bugs. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, Raid. <laughs> he, that was Dad, and um, hundreds hundreds of films that his voice appears that you don't with not, with no credit. Right. You don't, you don't even know that it was him because he did a lot of looping. A lot. I was of dubbing, wondering that. Yeah. Um. There's there's a lot of that, and slowly but surely, this stuff's starting to disseminate out there about, oh, wow, that was him after all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, he was Tony Curtis's female voice in Some Like It Hot. That I did not know until you just told me that. I hadn't, okay, because that is one of my favorite performances of all time. I'd always wondered who that voice was. <laughs> Holy crap. Yep, yep, and he... That's amazing to me. He's also the the Roman soldier at the end of the near the end of the movie of Spartacus, who says, "Which one of you is Spartacus?" Oh my God! And a bunch of others. Yeah. He he of course did the opening narration in the movie War of the Worlds. Uh huh. Not not the uh, not the, the I can't remember who did the other one. He he did the ending. Sort of the opening, but Dad did the credits. The opening okay. was was Dad and a friend of mine. When I first met him many years ago, argued with me that it was Orson Welles. <laughs> I, I said, "No, it's not Orson Welles. It's my dad." And it, it was a, it was a dragged out argument, which he was going to lose because you know I always knew who my dad was when I heard him, and yeah. I knew the story behind it. So Dad was also in the movie of War of the Worlds. As Who does he play? He's, the, he's on screen, and he's the reporter that walks around talking about future history. Mm, okay. So, because back in the fifties, Dad did a lot of on-camera work before he really focused on just doing voice work. Mm-hmm. But he, the voice work came easy to him because prior to doing on-screen camera, he was doing radio for over ten years. It's crazy. Was the, now the internet tells me. The inter- here's here's where we have fun, where I get to say, well, the internet says this. Is it true? Uh, oh, boy. I yeah, noticed yeah. a lot of things are not quite right. Of course. Well, number one, here's some basics, that he was born in Chicago. Let's start there. True. All right, good. Uh, and here here's where it says, here's where the career stuff happens. In the 1930s, Freest first appeared in vaudeville as an impressionist under the name Buddy Green. 
That is true. What, what now? What kind of impressions was he doing? Was it movie stars and stuff as well? I mean, sound was fresh uh, in movies, so I'm just wondering. Uh, there's there's less known about that period of his life because that's when he was a teenager. Right. Um, I of course wasn't around yet, and um, I I imagine he was doing impressions of people, famous people at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that Dad grew up during the reign of Al Capone uh-huh. in Chicago, and Dad uh, seemed to at first be kind of lured in by the idea of mobsters. Mm-hmm. But Dad later on became a very diehard uh, law enforcement uh, uh, advocate uh-huh. and worked with law enforcement on a lot of a lot of things. That was sort of his side career later in his life really uh-huh working with law enforcement that's but fascinating it, it, that might have stemmed from the fact that he served in world war ii mm-hmm. he was in the army and uh was in france about a month after the normandy invasion uh-huh and he was there for about three months before he got shot and came back uh not in too good a shape uh-huh and his his wife at the time, she was only 20 years old, he survives being shot at by, you know, the enemy over there, and she ends up dying from some weird disease. Oh, my God. And they had gotten married and moved to Hollywood because he was going to be, actually, Dad was uh, a painter. Mm-hmm. And he was going to just do painting. Uh, but he also... You know, he still had the acting bug because he had done vaudeville and then he went to the army and kind of suspended that. And when he came back, he decided, you know, he needed to get back into show business. And then he needed money to help his wife who was in the hospital. And that's when he got into radio. Wow. It's it's always interesting to me when creative pursuits are also... Uh, necessity-driven day jobs when that happens. So I have to assume it... Do you? I mean, I don't know how much, again, that you know. Was it something like the result of an audition or he knew somebody who said, oh, you got a great voice. Why don't you do... you got a four-octave range uh, from what the internet tells me. Uh, well, the, the story goes he was at uh, Gower Gulch, mm-hmm. which, if, you know, for people who aren't familiar with Hollywood, there's a intersection of Sunset Boulevard and Gower Street called Gower Gulch, and there were studios there, and there still are, actually. Yeah. And he was at one of the radio stations, and the guy said, oh, would you like to see what's going on? And Dad said, no, I, I, want a, I need a job. Yeah. And I, it, 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 it's in his biography, I think, uh, written by Ben Omart. Uh-huh. Called Welcome Foolish Mortals. Yes, yes. Second, second edition is uh, preferred. And he, the guy said, well, what can you do? And he said, well, I can do all these different, I can do di- any dialect you, you, you need. And so he ended up doing uh, his first radio job from that interview. I mean, it was, it was sort of an off-the-cuff kind of thing, and uh, it wasn't really an audition per se. He, he was you know, desperate to get work, and it just went on from there. It's crazy. 
That is not. I'm just wondering because you know the story's always oh I was doing voices in class and I was making fun of the teachers and doing an impression of the teacher and then eventually you know it became a career. There's this this huge gap in between things. Do you do you know what got him started into doing impressions or knowing he could do them? Uh, from what I've been told, he's he was doing impressions when he was a kid when they'd call from school to find out why he wasn't there, <laughs> and he'd be doing. Uh, you know, impressions of, of family members or something, and just trying to fool whoever was calling. <laughs> uh. Explain his truancy, and uh, he didn't train, if that's your question. He he just naturally knew how to do this. I mean, he just yeah. had a natural talent. His dad didn't go to school. He didn't... He trained to be an artist. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't train to do voice work or, or singing or anything else. He just... He was just precocious and always wanted to be the center of attention, maybe because he was the youngest child in the family. Sure. Uh, I, that might have had something to do with it. He had two older brothers and an older sister, and his parents, who my grandparents, emigrated here from Russia. They were very common, simple people, and Dad was the only one who had any interest in show business. And... Apparently, he had a just a, a, a natural-born ability, and he definitely uh, went for it. Did he? Were you raised around comedy, comedy albums? It sounds like you were given access to even his stuff, which I feel like sometimes performers are hesitant to show their kids what they do. But at least he was doing kid-friendly stuff. Oh, absolutely! I, no, I, I I listened to a lot of that. Um, I was definitely influenced by. All that, and and of course, I liked listening to other comedy albums as well. I was not fashionable to say now, but in the old days, Bill Cosby had some great albums. Well, sure, days. yeah. Um, and other people too. I can't really think offhand, but growing up, I was always listening to albums. I mean, because albums was the thing. We didn't have tapes. We didn't have digital. We didn't have you know internet or. It was nothing. When I was a kid, all we had was a record. Yeah. Final was it. And there were a lot of albums out there. And comedy albums was definitely part of my repertoire. Yeah. Do you, and that's stuff that you were listening to, or did you listen to them together as a family? Anything like that? Uh, yeah, our family was dysfunctional. My, <laughs> my parents got divorced when I was six. Uh huh. So dad was out of the house. Mm hmm. And. Whenever I had visitation with my dad, we didn't spend time listening to albums. We we would go to the movies, uh, go miniature golfing, bowling, go out to eat. Sure, all the good stuff. Stay home, watch TV or whatever. We that that's basically our swim in the pool. That's, mm -hmm. You know. Did he ever? Really, huh? Did he ever take you to work with him? That's that's the one that I'm curious about. Uh, occasionally. Yeah. Is that I, I, is that where you learned the, the, the craft yourself, or was it something that you absorbed from just observing him in general? Uh, well, both. I mean, I, I, I watched them do the Rocky and Bullwinkle sessions uh -huh. um, a lot. Um, that was kind of nice, you know, to watch them just do that. I mean, it was a lot of it was scripted, but most of it was ad-libbed. And they were crazy. always laughing and having a great time, and it was... Uh, it was it was it was fun to watch. I went with him to Disney a few times. Um, 
when I was about 12, they had, uh, they were thinking about doing Ludwig von Drake Jr. Really? Yeah, for about 10 minutes they came up with that idea. And, then, and, and I, I would have done it, and they were asking me to imitate my dad and mm-hmm. imitate sounds. My dad said, do this and do that, and I, I would just imitate them, and sounded good. And um, it's one of the few times my dad was actually very encouraging about doing something like that, but uh, it didn't happen, so... I, I didn't pursue that. I was really more interested in music at the time. Uh-huh. I was a kid, so I was kind of diverging from voice work at that time. It didn't really come back to me until after my dad passed away. Did, do you think he was discouraging out of a fear that you'd want to rely on it for income since it's so hard to get into? No, I, I, my dad might have had other motivations. I think he was very... Um, possessive of his position gotcha. in the industry. Um, like at a party, he, my dad would have parties, and I'd, I'd, sometimes I'd, get, I'd stand on a chair and I'd start kibitzing around, and he'd make me get down. <laughs> yeah. You know, stop being the center of attention, because that was his job. Uh, that's so, not, well, that's not an uncommon story in this town, I guess. Well, my dad... That's where my dad and Mel Blank differed. Mel was very uh, giving and generous with his. Uh, he was he was like a mentor to everybody, especially his you know his son Noel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually was trying to groom him to take his his place uh, to do his voices, Bugs Bunny and all that. But sure. my, my dad never did that. He, he he was very possessive, and we had a falling out when I was about fifteen. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of my rest of my life, or the rest of his life, uh, pretty much trying to get back into his good graces after that falling out. Yeah, I I would I would really just do what I thought he wanted me to do, which was pretty much anything but acting. He said, "Be a director, be a be an editor, be an artist, or be a be a writer." Uh, as long as it's creative. You know, my dad did uh, encourage me to be creative all the time, but not to do what he did. Interesting. Which, which I kind of naturally did anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I did with my friends and, and just at school or whatever. It just came out just naturally. So, But as far as pursuing it, I, I, I kind of restricted myself to doing... Um, you know, plays, and I was in the Shakespeare Society for a while, doing, you know, that kind of stage performance and things like that, but not not doing voice work, not till much later. That's interesting. So you, it sounds like he started out, he started out, well, again, if we don't know exactly how the vaudeville thing started or exactly what got him into doing voices on stage, it's interesting, though, that you took another path where you got to learn a, a, a new set of skills that he probably didn't have at his disposal early on in terms of, you know, oh, well, you know, this is stuff I can use later on as a voiceover artist. That's true. But it, it was a different era, Jason. You know, the 1920s. Sure. Uh, 1930s. Was, it was just another world. And uh, vaudeville was the, was the place to be. And entertaining people was the thing to do. Uh, 
And that, that, I, I can see why Dad didn't need much to motivate him to do that. I mean, that was... Um, he didn't talk about it much, because after his wife died, he, he, he wouldn't talk about that either. I can imagine. Um, he, he was never the same, and, and as tragic as that was, especially to him, had she lived, I would never have been born. Sure, yeah. Because <laughs> you know? my mother was my dad's third wife. Uh-huh. He, he, you know, there, there was just, he was just dysfunctional after his first wife died because he had the second, then my mom, then they got divorced, and then he got married again, um, and then he had another child, which who's my, my baby half-sister, and they got divorced, and then... He got married again and divorced and then married again. And that finally, you know, after six or so marriages, my dad finally stopped divorcing. <laughs> but that wasn't working out toward the end. Yeah, yeah. What, so, uh, at what point in your life then did you find yourself comfortable trying out the voiceover thing? And what, what, what made you decide, okay, this is okay. I can not necessarily step into his shoes, but I can put, you know, find my own way into it. It was in the early 1990s, mm -hmm. so I'd say like mm, t 25 years ago. Yeah, uh, I decided, you know, it's it's time for me to. I, I just felt right about it. Um, you know, he'd been gone for a few years, and I just kind of I don't know. It just kind of hit me. I just because I, I was kind of winding down in my musical ambitions. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of went through that. I was a bass player for 20 years, and I used to write music, and I, I still recorded a lot. I was always involved in some kind of vocalization, singing songs or writing or doing something. Um, so when that started to fade out, and I was still working a day job all that time, uh, I just thought, you know, because I, 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 actually the big inspiration was my mother. Uh, my mom was a voice teacher for 25 years. Oh, wow. She was a coach, and people would come over here to the house, and they would take lessons with my mom. She'd coach them, you know, for an hour or so, and they'd make demos, and they were they, they were doing voiceover stuff. And I'd, I'd watch them come and go, and uh, Yvonne Craig was one of them. Really? Yeah, that girl, she, she studied with my mom, a uh, whole bunch of people. And I'd sit there watching them do it, and I thought, you know, and, and it was a little odd at first to study with my mother. I bet. It was my mother. And, and we had our own dysfunction, the, the two of us. But when it came to doing that, we set everything aside because really the basic premise of doing any voice work at all is to be a professional. Yeah. You have to be professional about it. E even if things aren't going well, you, at all times, you're a professional. And it's probably the most important thing to remember. And Dad used to say, you have to be a professional before you get the profession. Not after. It's not the other way around. Right. You don't, you don't get a gig and suddenly, now I'm a professional. No, you have to be a professional before you get the gig. You have to be a professional when you're out in it, doing it, auditioning, and present, <clears throat> excuse me, presenting yourself to everyone else in the business. So you have to you have to acquire that acumen of being a professional from day one, even if you're not working. You know, so so you're out of work. You're still a professional. And so 
so my mother and I approached it that way. I was, you know, I, for, for, for one hour, she was no longer my mother. She was my coach. And she inspired me because she said, you know, you can do this and, and you should do this. And I remember my dad's, my, one of my dad's older brothers, my uncle Dave, he tried it for a while, but he didn't really have what it took to do it. Uh-huh. And I knew I could. So I worked with my mom and we made a demo and I went to Charles Stern, who was my dad's agent. And he immediately took me in. I mean, I, it wasn't, there was no waiting period. It wasn't like, oh, am I going to get this agent or whatever. Charles was, was one of the best agents in the city. And he, of course, I think his allegiance to my dad and whatever, he, he just took me in right away. Of course, he l- listened to my demo. I mean, sure. if, I, if, if I sucked, he wouldn't have taken me at all. <laughs> I, I guess there has to be something to be said there. So... Uh, immediately we started sending stuff out and I was, uh, you know, in three weeks I was, I was on a plane to Chicago to do test spots for the Pillsbury Doughboy. Oh, so good. Someone else, you know, when my dad died, some, uh, some other talent guy in Chicago, I think, started doing it and he'd been doing it for several years, but apparently they were considering replacing him. They, they never did though, but, uh, I did do about a year's worth of work for them doing the doughboy on a test basis. Interesting. That's a, um, that's a lot of work for a test thing. Sounds like it. It was, because that's how I got into AFTRA. Because um, AFTRA was separate from SAG in those days. Mm-hmm. So you had, you, had to, you had to earn your way into both individually, independently. And I was getting paid. I, you know, I had to sign a you know, contract, and I was getting paid every time I did these tests. So there, it was more than just an audition. But... Supposedly, if I kept doing it, I'd eventually land a gig doing the job, but that, that never happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just didn't pan out that way, so you know that was fine, but I, I got a lot of great experience doing that because I was, I was called in, I was going to the studio, uh, going to Chicago was really fun, and then around the same time, I was called to Hanna-Barbera. They were looking for someone who could do the voice of Morocco Mole. Mm-hmm. Which dad was Morocco on the Secret Squirrel Show? Yeah. And the first uh, audition I went for that was for a, a reboot of the show itself, and I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, a year later the show was canceled, but they were going to do a whole series of promos and contests for the Cartoon Network, and they wanted someone, because the guy they did hire didn't sound anything like my dad. He wasn't trying to sound like Peter Lorre. Sure, sure. It it was some really terrible voice. I don't know what they were thinking, and the animation was bad. Yeah. You know, the thing was canceled. But they they obviously didn't call him back for this new set of auditions. Yeah. And when I went back a year later, I got it. <laughs> and suddenly I was working for the next three years for the Cartoon Network. That's and crazy. Uh, I, I was able to, I went to Atlanta for uh, uh, several days for this uh, really unique game contest thing they had. And I got to work with Fred Hickman from CNN News. And... It was uh, it was great. It was it was this long term gig that that came from one single audition. 
That's crazy. Was it, was there ever, an, did you ever feel the expectation that, oh yeah, one day I'll get one of dad's parts? Or was it, was it just, you never assumed that would happen? I never assumed anything. Yeah. And, and you never should. But I, you know, uh, it didn't surprise me that they were asking me to do things that he had done. Sure. As opposed to just do something original or something new. Right, uh, right. You know, uh, it, it seemed natural that they would ask me to do something that he had already done and I, I was I was pleased to do it I was it, it was an honor you know to do it that because it there there as much nepotism as you keep hearing about mm-hmm. it, it it never came my way I, I had to earn every moment of of doing work for yeah. anybody yeah you know I I've had to work very hard to to be accepted to pass you know to get the audition to get the gig you know, to to get an agent or you do this, whatever it is, um, it's it's nice being you know the son of Paul Freese, but it, it was it was not the answer to everything. Sure, I I, I definitely had to earn my way, so n- nobody can accuse me of nepotism. Mm-hmm. It, that that just didn't happen, and it and it doesn't happen. So, and, and you know, which is nice, you know, because I know that they're if they want me, it's because you know for for what I did, not from what he did. Exactly. Yeah. No. I mean, that's what's uh, always interesting is having people on the show who are related to you know people who you know have created albums that I've talked to before. You know, I've talked to Kelly Carlin, George Carlin's daughter. Recently, had the son of a gentleman who did this crazy, insane CB album uh, a few years, like in the seventies, and he hasn't picked up. So I don't ever expect that. But it is always interesting too when somebody does does the art, uh, especially in a case like this when you know you've got at least a similar. I would assume a similar range obviously a similar enough voice do you know is your range within what his was i'm, I'm curious about that uh dad had as my uncle dave described a, an extremely large chamber uh-huh uh-huh meaning a very very physically large rib cage yes yes and his voice he he could really go deep it just had a huge chamber yeah and I don't have that uh, like he did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't do the lower registers quite as much as he did. I, I can. Uh, there's not a calling for it as much, but I, it, I have to s- slow down my speech to do it. Okay, sure. I have a tendency, I have a tendency to just kind of rise up when I talk. He, he never did that. In, even in private life, my dad, <clears throat> he assumed this persona. He's... <laughs> The Paul Freeze persona. He he didn't want to break that too much, and he always spoke with uh, a, a deep, authoritative kind of sound. And he would talk about all kinds of things that he didn't even know about, but he made it sound <laughs> like he was an authority. <laughs> like science, my dad knew nothing about science, but he could narrate uh, a science program. Or a history program and make it sound like he was, you know, he he was the master of the, you know, professor at the school or whatever. He 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 had that lower register. When he answered his phone, he he'd just say yes. <laughs> Dad would never say hello when he answered the phone. It was always yes. <laughs> and and I I would fool him. I'd never say, oh hi, Dad. I I I I would say things like. Uh, Paul, oh, Paul, is that you? And, and, and you go, oh, who, who is this? 
I say, it, it's your son. <laughs> son? <laughs> so he knew I could do it. Yeah. I was, I'd fool him half the time when I'd call him. Uh, so That's phenomenal. We, we had good moments there. <laughs> but, yeah, to answer your question, um, Dad's range was unparalleled because he could go, he, he could get that Orson Welles uh, baritone. Yeah. And he could also, you know, do the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> or... or he was one of the moon men on, on Bullwinkle. Oh, he yeah. Cloyed, I think he was cloyed, <laughs> which was just him whining. Just, <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy to me. I uh, do you, I'm curious in terms of uh, all the work that you've done in general, not just obviously recreating somebody else's work, which, by the way, I mean, that actually diminishes it. That's not how I mean it. But I mean, doing your taking, doing your own take on something, even if you have to sound alike. Obviously, there's acting involved, which is something people who want to get into voiceover often to, often forget. No, you also have to be a good actor. You can't just be a good sound alike. It's a challenge. But I'm curious if there's anything that you've done, even recreating not just your father's work, or just generally a favorite voice that you've done or a project that you love particularly. Well, the projects that I've done, especially in the past eight years or so, have been totally creative uh, endeavors with uh, Ben Omart, who runs Bear Manor Media. Uh-huh. Oh, I, uh, he and I have been talking recently. Interesting. Terrific. Um, say hi for me because we're 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 back. We're we're not. We've never been out of touch, but we we're, we're more in touch again now because um, Ben's been very busy raising his uh, little girl. Uh-huh. And, and he's and he's involved in all these other writing projects. And of course, he runs an entire publishing company. Yes. So I I get that he's very busy, but we we managed to uh, put out a lot of stuff in the past few years. Ben writes it and I perform it. And it's a it's a it's a very profitable, productive relationship because he's always wanted to write comedy mm-hmm. and need needed someone to perform it and I prefer having stuff given to me so I don't have to worry about writing. Sure. Or coming up with ideas. I just want to perform. So he gives me stuff to do. I do it, and we've come up with some really fabulous stuff over the years. Which um, I don't know how many people know about it. Uh, maybe you can help spread the word. Absolutely all happy to. Stuff we've got a whole bunch of stuff that's on Amazon. There's uh, first of all BearManorMusic.com or BearManorMedia.com, Ben's own uh, publishing websites has a lot of our stuff on there and the stuff that he offers sometimes has bonus tracks on them but all the stuff we've done is a lot of it is on amazon audible i've done some i've done audio audio books for ben and we've done a lot of original stuff we did uh a a whole album a, a comedy album of christmas songs great called fred freeze presents (laughs) <laughs> it looks like it looks like presents, but it's really presents. <laughs> and there's twelve original songs, and, and Ben hired these fantastic composers to uh, write the music. He wrote the lyrics, and they wrote the songs, and I I performed them all. 
and they're all about the darker comedic side of Christmas. It's, it's they're not fluffy songs mostly, but they're hilarious. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, people. Can, most people can relate to it because Christmas is not always a, a great time for everybody. Right. You know, one song is about being stuck in traffic. Uh, one is about someone who's always, you know, who wants opening the gifts too soon. One, one is Santa Claus comes and steals the presents back. Uh, there's all <laughs> kinds of funny stuff. Ben is very creative, so I, we really enjoy doing that. Some, some of that stuff's been on Dr. Demento and some other places. That's great. Have featured those, um, so it's Fred Free's presents. That's a, you know, it's seasonal, but it's it's, sure. it's a collection of great Christmas songs. I, I'm really, um, I'll be at Hooters for Christmas. That's a great song, <laughs> and uh, very very creative. So that kind of stuff gives me a chance to to, you know, explore, uh, you know, different things, and I get to sing. Most most of them are singing. It's not the speaking singing that my dad did on, on on poster people. And I'm not imitating anybody particularly. But we've also done a bunch of comedy albums where um, one is a series actually called Flood Millstrain Private Citizen. Mm-hmm. And he's the, he's the redneck detective. And he's, he's just a private citizen, but he solves crimes that the police can't solve. And... During there, and all of them are thirty minutes long. I think we've done about seven episodes, and during the course of those uh, adventures, um, I do some characters that are imitations of of, of people, mm-hmm. or at least sound alike. You know, close sure, enough. Sure, yeah. I, I recognize who I'm actually trying to sound like. We don't say that's who that is. It's just the person kind of sounds like, oh, that's so-and-so, and that's, that's, that's him, or that's her. So there's a lot of that in those comedy uh, uh, adventures of Flood Millstrain. But I'd say the most popular thing we did was an album of uh, public domain songs sung a cappella by zombies. Nah, I love it. And I've... Uh, I put a promo up on YouTube, and I've gotten over 83,000 hits on that one. Wow. Um, which was startling. And I, and I got some amazing emails from people um, who said th- they were just thrilled by them because they're, they're like, take me out to the ball game, a hunting we will go, uh, all, just very familiar songs, but they're all sung by zombies. That's great. So that... and. We got a great response from that, and that's that's out there. And there's all kinds of stuff. We did ringtones. I did Fred Freeze as Paul Freeze ringtones. Really? Where I do, I'm I'm actually doing you know answering your phone as Boris Badenoff as the ghost host at Disneyland, uh, Ludwig von Drake, and, and you know a bunch of other uh, characters. So that's we, great. We, you know, and 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 Ben still hasn't put out everything that we did. A bunch of parody self help albums. <laughs> Um, just I, it's hard to remember everything that we've done. It's there's so many. But, That's great. Uh, well, yeah, de- people should definitely go to BearManorMedia.com. I mean, there's all kinds of great stuff. I I met him through the Firesign guys, and their books are are usually through Bear Manor Media as well. So Firesign Theater stuff is definitely uh, available through them too. 
Yeah, well, Phil Proctor gave us a, a thumbs up on the Christmas album. Oh, great. <clears throat> He's a friend so, of the show. Uh, uh, people who listen to and, and watch the video versions of the show, Phil Proctor's a, a friend of the show as well. So that's, that's, a, that's a hell of an endorsement to get, I think. Absolutely. I mean, well, Ben's got connections. I'm, I'm, you know, and it's, it's an honor to work with him and having done all this because, you know, it gives us the freedom to be creative. Like you, you, know, you said, not doing just impressions of familiar people, but trying to come up with your own stuff, which is, and, and it's just fun to do. You know, I just love having fun. And that's really the basis of any voice work. If, if you're not having fun, then you're in the wrong business. Yeah, pe- people will hear it for sure. Um... So uh, let's let's skip back for a moment to the Poster People album, uh, and you don't have to recommend it, but if you were to recommend this album, let's say to people who are not familiar with your dad's work or don't know that they heard him, what's a good reason to listen to this album? It's a very strange and fun album. Well, it, it's... It, it, first of all, if you're not familiar with the people he's doing, you should be. Sure, yeah. It's called the poster people because they are worthy of being on a poster. They're all very famous people. W.C. Fields, uh, Peter Lorre, uh, I'm trying to remember them all, Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. You know, big names. I mean, you know, they're all people that are on posters. And there's nothing else like it. I mean, no one else has done an album with a collection of dead actors. And, you know, Dad would never do an impression of someone while they were still alive. Interesting. Yeah, so it was. it's funny because I I did the audiobook version for uh, Mel Blanc's biography mm-hmm. uh, that Ben wrote, and I learned a lot about Mel, who really didn't like people. And he didn't mention my dad. And, and I know the two of them worked together a lot. But Mel always said he liked to create original voices. Mel didn't like to do impressions of anybody when, sure. he did his, when he did his cartoon stuff. And my dad did both. He did original voices, but he also impersonated people, which Mel apparently didn't really care for. That's interesting. Yeah, but the poster people is, is all impersonation. Sure. And... It's it's just a fun album. I mean, the music is a little outdated now. Yeah, it's all all songs from the early seventies mostly. It's yeah, yeah, sixties, early seventies. Ben and I had discussed trying maybe doing an updated version of it. Uh huh. With you know more modern songs. That'd be great. And with different personalities singing them. Sure, that'd be but, fun. It would be fun. Pulling off, pulling that off is a little difficult as far as copyright. Sure, and, sure. And and it's really that would be Ben's uh, responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm just a hired help. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's hey, you know what? That's that's a that's a that's a good. Uh, you get to hide behind that whenever things are are convenient. Uh, do you? So I want to make sure people can find you though. Uh, tell them where your website is, where you are on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, well. Fredfreeze.com is my website. Fred at Fredfreeze.com is my email. I've tried to make it really simple. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty pretty simple. Or, and you're on Twitter, right? I am. Um, it, it's um, at Voice Peddler. Yes, there we are. Yes. Okay, good. 
going to make sure um, people can follow you. Instead of referring to myself as a voice actor mm-hmm. or voiceover artist or other descriptions that people use over the years, I, I came up with voice peddler. That's great. That, that's uniquely mine. So my, my website is called Voice Peddler. Um, I've, I've done a series of uh, podcast interviews called Voice Peddler Interviews. That's great. Um, I'll have to give those a listen. It, it, they're on YouTube. Oh, okay, they're actually, perfect. They're actually visual uh, podcasts. Oh, that's great. With uh, photographs that the interviewees supply. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a limited run. It's not going to be ongoing forever because I'm too busy doing other projects. Of course, of course. But I've, 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 I've been able to, and had the privilege of talking to some amazing voiceover talent. Yeah, I can see so that definitely. if I look it up. Yeah, there are a lot of great people. That's wonderful. Those, these look like fun. I'm going to have to go to YouTube and check those out. Um, so, well, first of all, thank you very much for doing the show. I appreciate it. This has been a ton of fun. Oh, you're, you're great to work with, Jason. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, anybody who's uh, listening to this uh, still, if I, have, if I personally haven't bored you and you've already gotten through the good stuff, uh, you guys can check uh, me out on Instagram at Jason Klom, J-A-S-O-N-K-L-A-M-M, hashtag the professional blur. I've been talking about all my extra work because it's kind of fun, and I did a bunch of stuff where you can actually see me as a professional blur. So um, check that out. And uh, by the time this comes out, we will have uh, re-released Paul Dooley's comedy album, uh, Booked Solid. It's from 1961. Right now, the digital digital release is out the cd will be coming out soon and who knows maybe down the line we'll do a vinyl re-release of it as well but uh, paul dooley's very fun stand-up album it's the only one he ever did and uh, he's letting us re-release it you can check that out at celerysoundrecords.com well again thank you all for listening and as always have a good thing Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15-plus years. Music